The Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So I'll say right up front, this parable isn't about what it seems to be about. It's not about what Luke leads us to believe, that those who consider themselves righteous and regard others with contempt. This parable is a powerful demonstration of exactly what Jesus hopes that we all discover in this life. It's about the community that he came to earth to create. It's a vision of hope. It's not as obvious as it appears, but it is vitally important in this moment in the gospel as Jesus and his disciples near Jerusalem. They near Jesus's very death. They near a world without his physical presence. And time is quickly passing. Jesus is imparting vital wisdom, crucial for the mission ahead. Jesus is sharing a profound message for our own time as well. One of the rituals that I most look forward to in my time as a campus, a university campus minister, was the first year student drop-off day, uh, when the students were left on campus by their parents. There was this push and pull between the parents and now grown child, at least they considered themselves grown, parents sometimes beg to differ. And watching them on this day as they milled about campus would often bring me, uh, would make me laugh. Um, the students were trying so hard to seem confident and, and cool while flooded with all of these kinds of emotions. Many desperately wanted to look cool uh, with the, the folks who were going to figure out who's, who's my friend, uh, who, who might I be able to go on a date with. But it's not so easy, it was not so easy for them to look so cool when they were trailed by anxious parents wearing brand new Emory parent t-shirts. 
filling up tote bags with every type of swag and flyer they could get their hands on. But witnessing the interactions between the student and family that they would be leaving behind very soon could just as easily bring me to tears because it was a form of heartbreak for these parents to leave their children in this strange place. Student move-in day marks, in a sense, the end of the road. The parent-child relationship would change from this day forward, and the child, now morphing into adult, would face many important choices on their own. And on that day, between the moving boxes and class registrations and rowdy welcoming events and speeches by administrators, I'd see here and there a parent steal a moment with their child to share something vital. Some words of wisdom, perhaps. Some blessing. Some encouragement. I'd often imagine what, what was being said. I, I soon began to wonder what I would say. I'm so proud of you, maybe. Call me if you need anything. You can do this. I know that you can. Please be safe. Please be kind. Be brave. Please study. I love you. Do your laundry. In these moments, I think a parent or mentor and a child knows that something major is happening. A stepping out, a being released. And Jesus is in this very kind of moment with his disciples. He's taught them much, and while he's not done quite yet, it, time is short, and they need to carry on his mission. And what is Jesus' mission? It is to reconcile the whole world back to God. As we heard in the psalm, the sparrow finds a home in God, the swallow a nest, and so does every child on earth find a home in God and a family in God's people. Jesus' mission was to gather like a, a mother hen her chicks and to heal the many divisions among us, divisions of race, of religion, gender, sexuality, age, and economic class. He was reforming a community that had become very broken along the way. He was pulling back together the beautiful diversity of life and showing us, as the psalmist says, how very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. So on this Sunday, when we remember the Reformation of the Western Church over 500 years ago, when visionary women and men set out to renew and reform the church in a new era, we hear a parable where Jesus demonstrates this reforming of community with a warning about viewing those different from us with contempt and encouraging humility as we are fashioned into a new kind of community. It is the kind of community where our differences can be a source of power for good in the world, as I think God intended. But when we become fearful of those differences, when we let into our hearts the evil of contempt and jealousy, we can turn vicious. 
we can fall apart. Jesus shows us the work that it takes to let goodness win out. But it takes a closer look at this parable to see that, rather than the tired old story of stereotypes and division that I more often see in this parable. I almost always hear this parable casting the Pharisee as a haughty Jewish leader who is smug and insulting as he compares his righteousness to all the terrible people he thinks he's better than, including the tax collector in the room, downcast, shamed, shattered, beating his chest and begging for mercy. And so we shake our heads at that pompous Pharisee and we sympathize with the humble tax collector. The way Luke is always interpreted at the end of the passage, it seals the deal for us. It says, this man, the tax collector, went home justified rather than the other. And reading it that way, nothing really changes in this community. And we cheer on the repentant sinner as we should, and we boo the Pharisee. One gets to go home with Jesus' seal of approval rather than the other. But I don't think that's what Jesus meant at all. This way of reading the parable doesn't do justice to Jesus' stated mission of gathering together a beloved community of those once far off. Instead, these two are far off in the beginning and are just as far off and far apart at the end. Their differences continue to divide them. And I, for one, I don't know about you, but I am tired of the stories of division. I am tired of this habit of celebrating our side's values by tearing down the other. And if we read this parable as it so often is, siding with the humble tax collector, scorning the Pharisee, then that immediately makes us just like the Pharisee that we are criticizing, doesn't it? Aren't we then saying, God, I'm glad I'm not like that arrogant Pharisee, bragging about how much of a goody-goody he is? Ugh, Pharisees are the worst. But I am modest and humble and non-judgmental. Thanks, God. Thanks for not making me like those super religious, judgmental type Christians. And right there, we have walked into Jesus's parable trap. The way Luke frames Jesus's parable could be a warning to us. Proceed with caution. But more likely, he's set us up to regard with some measure of contempt the one who may appear to be showing contempt. In case you haven't noticed, we are, not we, but we are a divided people. The divisions in this neighborhood are stark and in this region. I am so tired of hearing about East Shore and West Shore. I read this week that the average American believes that our nation is two-thirds of the way to a civil war. This kind of division, beloved, is the opposite of God's mission. 
Jesus intentionally created diversity among his followers, gathering fishermen and then their enemies, tax collectors, and then eating in their shared enemies' house, a Pharisee's house. He gathered women and men and Jews and Gentiles and peasants and soldiers, adults and children, all reconciled by grace, all united in mission. Our differences are part of God's plan from the beginning, and they make us stronger as a family. In some of his final moments with his disciples, Jesus points out the division of his time. And Luke, Luke, uh, uh, see, in, in, in his time and also Luke's time, which is a little bit after Jesus' time, He points out their divisions uh, that were amongst the Jews and the Jewish Christians that were trying to figure out how to live together. But his message doesn't reinforce that division. Instead, it should point us to what will redeem and reform division. The parable is actually a radical illustration of the power of gathering different types of people together in the presence of God in the house of the Lord, in prayer. When we gather in God's presence as God's diverse people, and we open our hearts to God and to those who are gathered here among us, God's power actually transforms us all into something better than the way that we entered, into his body. And it happens right here in in this story, if we read it the way I think it was intended to be be read. So let's let's look again at the parable. I I think it's funny, Jesus' parable starts a little bit like a joke. A Pharisee and a tax collector walk into a temple. And then right there, our stereotypes get to work. The story plays out. Reinforcing those stereotypes of Pharisee, bad, repentant sinner, repentant tax collector, sympathetic. They leave one praised rather than the other, but not so fast. Look what happens to this story if we change one word. At at the end of the the, the reading, uh, if you look at verse 14... And we change one word, the word rather. That word in the original Greek is a preposition, par. It has another meaning besides rather, an equally valid reading. It can just as easily be translated as beside or alongside. And that changes everything. Listen, he says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his home justified alongside the other. They leave together, both righteous, both justified, both with souls fertile for new life, which is another way to interpret justified. They leave as a reformed family. And I think that's how Jesus told the story, with a twist, turning our expectations of this relationship on its head, alongside with our expectations for what Jesus is doing in the kingdom of God. 
These two are changed by God through each other. So what happened in that temple then? They entered into God's house divided, aware as we are as well of their vast differences. And the Pharisee goes into his corner, standing by himself. And the tax collector goes into his corner, standing far off, not even able to look up. But something happens in God's presence. They pray. We're told that prayer changes things, aren't we? Do you know what prayer changes the most? Us. Us. Prayer also changes the story. Perhaps the Pharisee isn't praying out of arrogance, but out of genuine thanksgiving. Maybe this Pharisee has come a long way to get to this point of gratitude that he feels in his life today. Maybe he's been struggling to leave behind some unhealthy ways. Maybe he is just genuinely grateful that his disciplines of fasting and generosity have truly helped. Maybe we can commend him for his fasting and giving 10% of his income. Maybe in the past, though, he too was so full of shame and guilt that when he saw that tax collector stooped in the shadows, weeping and beating himself up, he thought, my God, I've been there. God, I'm glad I'm not there today. Lord, do I remember what it was like? Thank you, God. I'm not like that tax collector today. Maybe the religious leader with an abundance of righteousness and compassion goes to the tax collector and humbles himself in order to help exalt, lift up this one who is cast down. Perhaps he becomes an immediate answer to the tax collector's prayer for God to have mercy. Maybe their individual prayers become a shared prayer. And so this man went home justified, healed, right alongside the other, for such is the kingdom of God. Proceed with caution, says Luke, lest feelings of contempt and self-righteousness cloud our hearing of the gospel. Remember who the storyteller is. Jesus tells his disciples and all of us, us that his vision is, is bigger than ours, and there is a special place for tax collectors and for Pharisees in his community, if you can believe it. And all throughout the gospel, it's true, the Pharisees are challenging Jesus, and sure enough, they will play a big role in his death. But so do the disciples, who betray him and desert him and deny him. So they are united in their betrayal. But Jesus wants them to be united in the grace that he shows us all. He forgives us all. He calls us all. He takes us all into his presence and invites us to his table with our differences, where we face each other, where we confess our sins, where we assure each other that we are forgiven. And then Christ commands us to get to work together, using us and our differences to bring light to a reforming kingdom of God so that we all go home humble and lifted up.
Amen.